Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. So glad that you are here this morning. So good to be with you. Uh, my name is Jennifer. I am one of the pastors here, but it's been a minute since I was actually up here, so it feels appropriate to give you a Roth family update because I can. So here's a picture of us back in July of this year. Quick updates on our family. Son number one in the plaid. His name is Josiah. He's a junior at Corbin University. Tall son, son number two, uh, Titus, is having an adventure with Youth with a Mission. He's currently in Switzerland and, Lord willing, leaving in a couple weeks to go to a country in West Africa. And that leaves daughter, one and only, Abby, home with Jeff and I. So our family is learning what it's like to be a family of three. Jeff and I are kind of having a vision for what this empty nesting thing might look like eventually. And I, I just have to say this. There are some of you in the room who've known me long enough to have said, I told you so, about how fast it would go. There are some of you in the room who are my peers and you're going, oh my goodness, you're right, Jennifer, it's a blur. And there are some of you in this room with small children and to you, I would just want to say this. You may feel like this season will never end, but it will. And when you get to where I stand, you will look back and go, how did it go that fast? So just enjoy every moment that you can. I know not all of them are enjoyable, but take the moment today to enjoy the moments that you can. Uh, Our family is so grateful to be a part of the community of worshipers here at Salem Alliance. This weekend finds us in kind of an interesting overlap intersection because there are trees behind me. We just had the Advent reading, but we're still finishing up our Crave series. And that's because some of you remember, especially if you were following along with the Bible study, that we skipped a lesson early in November. We're going to wrap up with that lesson today before we move into our Advent series next week. We've been in a series called Crave, and it's this series about what do our hearts long for? What do we ache for? And how does God actually fill all of those longings? Jesus made several I am statements along the way. And so today we're going to talk about I am the bread of life. We've talked about how if our longing is for joy, Jesus says, I am the vine. If our longing is for protection, he says, I am the gate. Last week, Steve talked about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there were seven people who came to the cross and pounded ribbons in. We have roses to celebrate today. Dwight, Haley, Kaylee, Samuel, Ariana, Robert, Tara, Sarah, and Jen, who all said yes to Jesus as their way, truth, and life. So today we're going to look in John chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or look there on your Bible app, that's what we'll be reading from today. It's a story of a conversation, but before we can make sense of the conversation that happens between Jesus and a crowd of people, we have to get a little bit of the context because John chapter 6 opens on a hillside in Galilee where there's a crowd of people who've been following Jesus, who've been listening to his teaching, and it's come to the time of day when people are hungry. And so Jesus turns to one of his disciples and he says, Philip, where can we get food for these people? And Philip is like, uh, Jesus, like we can't feed all these people. It would take months wages. And Jesus says, will you feed them? And deer in the headlights, Philip. And in the meantime, a child brings a child's lunch to Andrew, another one of the disciples. And Andrew passes that lunch to Jesus. It has two loaves, three loaves, two fish. And Jesus proceeds to bless it. 
begin to divide it and spread it out. And it says that he fed over 5,000 people that day and that they were filled to the full. So he fed over 5,000 people with the lunch of a child and they gathered up 12 baskets of food. So this whole crowd of people has had this experience together. And then that night, Jesus sends his disciples ahead in a boat across the lake and he stays behind. And in the middle of the night, it becomes stormy and Jesus comes to the disciples walking on water. This is when that happens. It's the night after the feeding of the 5,000. And we know from the Gospel of Matthew that Peter from the boat said, Lord, if it is you, call me to come out with you. And he did. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water until he saw the waves and got afraid. But that is a sermon for another day. So it's been a full 24 hours when the scene opens on the text that we're going to read today. Because what we find in John chapter, tw- chapter 6, verse 26, is that the people have been frantically looking for Jesus. I don't know if it was the novelty of the miracle, if it was the comfort of having their bellies full, but they wanted to find Jesus. And as I read through this, the word that popped into my mind was the paparazzi. Just looking for the next story, looking for the place where their satisfaction can be met, looking, frantically casting about for that place where they could find what they want. The paparazzi is searching for Jesus. As we read this today, it it, it falls out to me in kind of four acts. And every act has a little bit of a different tenor to it. And the three actors, if you will, are Jesus, the crowd, and the disciples. And it's important for us to note at the beginning that there is a difference between the crowd and the disciples. The crowd is this paparazzi of people who are chasing Jesus around to try to have their next fix. The disciples are people who have been with Jesus. They've been following him from town to town. They've been hearing his teaching. They've been seeing his miracles. They've been having meals with him and getting to know him. So there's the crowd and there's the disciples. And it's not just the 12 disciples. There's more than that who followed Jesus. We know at one point that he sent out 72 So we often hear about the 12, but picture with me today that there are many disciples following Jesus, and then there's this crowd. Have you ever been a part of a conversation that just turned sideways? Like it was fine, and then all of a sudden it was not fine. Maybe for some of you it was this weekend at Thanksgiving. You were sitting at the table, and the family had some inside jokes and some friendly banter, and all of a sudden, the table went silent, the tension rose, Forks got set down. Somebody was nervously smoothing their napkin on their lap. The facial expressions had changed. And maybe everybody in the room knew why. Maybe somebody had just, you know, touched on Uncle Frank's taboo subject and everybody knew why. But maybe you didn't know why. And you were in that room going, why did this just suddenly turn sideways? Or maybe it's a friendship. You were talking with somebody. You were texting with somebody. Things were fine. And then all of a sudden they were not fine. (laughs) Not fine at all. And you were, it was just a mystery. How did this turn sideways? Or maybe it was a work meeting. You went into a meeting, a staff meeting, expecting it to be about one thing, and instead, your boss turned in his resignation. Too soon? (laughs) Sorry, maybe too soon. Whatever the case may be, something turned sideways and it wasn't what you expected and you didn't understand and you were kind of left scratching your head going, what were we talking about and how do we get here and how do we get out of here? Because I think what we'll find as we read through these, these acts of this narrative conversation that Jesus had with this crowd is that the conversation turned sideways. So let's start together here in verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Notice how they greeted him. 
Rabbi, friendly greeting, a greeting of respect, a greeting to somebody that they would want to learn from. When did you get here? Remember, they've been chasing him all over the lake. They, they thought he was on this side, but the disciples left and Jesus didn't. There was some confusion. Some boats arrived from Tiberias, which makes us think that maybe they were already looking for Jesus. The people all got in the boats and came back. They finally find, they're like, when did you get here? And he doesn't even address their question because he realizes that they are chasing him to get a need met that he met yesterday and that he has a deeper need that he wants to meet. And he be immediately begins to turn this conversation in a different direction. He says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. See, the miraculous signs had a meeting, but the people, a meaning, but the people didn't understand. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Friends, Jesus, who has been healing the sick and the blind and the lame, who's been teaching on the hillsides, declares himself to be the Son of Man. That the Father, God, has put a seal of approval on that he is the way to eternal life. He is offering them complete soul satisfaction and they cannot see it because they came looking for lunch. They're blinded by what they thought they came for and they cannot receive the deeper soul satisfaction that Jesus wants to give them. It reminds me of this scripture from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55. It says, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest of food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. Friends, Jesus is wanting to give this crowd the key to eternal life, to complete soul satisfaction. But because they are fixated on their physical needs, on their physical hunger, they miss it and they cannot understand it. So we keep reading. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Remember yesterday, God's work was taking a child's lunch and feeding 5,000 people with it. And they're like, Jesus, we want to do this. Wouldn't that be a good idea if we could all take a child's lunch every day? And like, this would be great. I mean, think of all the problems it would solve if we could just, they're pursuing what they think they need rather than listening to what Jesus is saying. Jesus tells them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. Jesus is calling them to turn their hunger from physical hunger to a hunger for him, and they are not having it. Matter of fact, what happens as we turn this corner right here is that they realize, okay, if he doesn't want to do another miracle today and feed us, then let's talk about this thing he's asking. And they appoint themselves as the judge and jury of whether or not Jesus is worthy to be believed. And I wonder how many times you and I do a similar thing, engaging with spiritual and scriptural things in terms of whether or not we think he is worthy of us rather than realizing that he is the living God and we align with him. It's not him who has to align with us. Because here's what they said. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? I read this and I think, how audacious. He fed 5,000 people the night before. He walked on water the night before. Not a lot of the crowd doesn't know that, but his disciples do. And here they are saying, well, show us a sign. What can you do? If you want us to believe in you, then show us again. Do it again, Jesus. They're still after what they came for, which was lunch. And they're completely missing it. 
After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Let's talk about manna for a second. If you remember the Israelites, God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They came to the line of the promised land at the Jordan River, and they were afraid, and they didn't cross. And God said, okay, if this generation is too afraid to take the promised land after seeing the deliverance that I brought from Egypt, then this generation will not enter the promised land and we will save that for the next generation. And so that generation of people wandered in the desert for 40 years. And for 40 years, God fed them in the desert with manna. It was bread that rained down, that fell down from heaven, that they collected every day, enough for that day only. If they tried to collect more than that, it would rot except for the day before the Sabbath. Isn't that an amazing provision of God? (laughs) Six days, they collect for one day, and on that sixth day, they collect for two, and they don't have to collect the next day. So this is manna. This is the provision of God in the desert. It was a huge miracle. It was obviously an anchoring point for the nation of Israel to look back and say, look at what God has done for us. He fed us for 40 years with bread from heaven. And Jesus says, okay, If that's the metaphor you want to use, you came to get bread today because I gave you bread yesterday, you're still stuck on bread, you want me to prove this by, okay, God, Moses gave us manna, so Jesus, give us bread again. Let's talk about bread, he says. I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What is this that Jesus is saying? He's saying that this bread is a symbol of something that God is doing that gives life to our world. I want to look at bread in the scriptures a little bit because we find in Leviticus that bread is listed as as a symbol of thanksgiving. They have a bread of thanksgiving that is their way of showing and demonstrating and their place for demonstrating gratitude. There's the bread of the presence, the bread that was baked and placed in the temple every week replaced that was the symbol of the fact that God is with us always. There was the bread of provision in the desert and now Jesus is giving another symbol of this bread which is the bread of life. Literally all that we need for life on this earth and for eternal life. This bread that he's giving us and the people are hearing all of these things in this symbol of bread from their religious history and so they say, sir, Give us that bread every day. This sounds great. We want that bread that brings life, that is the true bread. That, see, we still want lunch. <laughs> and Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And let's just pause there and consider the promise that Jesus is making in this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, I have a confession to make. I have come to Jesus. That is part of my life testimony. And, and I believe in him with my whole heart, and, and I was hungry this morning. <laughs> I was thirsty while we were singing worship songs. So if this doesn't mean that we will physically not be hungry and we will physically not be thirsty, then what does this mean? And once again, it is Jesus pointing us from a physical hunger and thirst to a spiritual filling because see, you and I were created with a longing for God. Some people refer to this as a God-shaped hole, meaning he is the only one who can fill this longing. And so when we come to Jesus, 
When we believe in him, his Holy Spirit comes into our life, gives us new life, and fills our longing. So literally, spiritually, I will not hunger again because I have God in my life. And I will not thirst again because I have found the fulfillment of my soul's need for satisfaction in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is the promise that Jesus is giving the people, but they cannot hear it because they came looking for lunch. And they're blinded by the needs that they are wanting to have satisfied. And I want to ask us, what are we blinded by? How do we miss the deep and true and eternal soul satisfaction of Jesus? Because we came to him looking for, you fill in your blank. Relief from our anxiety. Healing in our physical illness. Food for today. We're casting about like the paparazzi, looking for what Jesus can do for us, and we miss who Jesus is. And this is what happens at the end of Act 1. See, things shift. They went from, Rabbi, hey, it's all good, to the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. See, he confused them. And they began to have some disapproval of what he was saying. From their place of trying to figure out whether or not they could really believe what he was saying or not, they got confused. They were murmuring in disagreement and saying, because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? What they're saying is, hey, we know where you grew up. We saw you when you were in diapers. It doesn't make sense that you said, I came down from heaven. We know you didn't come down from heaven. See, they're processing spiritual truths with earthly thoughts. And it's not making sense to them. And when we really put ourselves in, our, in their place, we can understand how it didn't make sense to them. And yet, Jesus says, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day, I will raise them up. Whoa, 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 Jesus. He just turned something that you might not have caught. But remember, this crowd has set themselves up as the judge and jury of whether or not they can believe in him. They're looking to him to prove himself, and they feel like they have the right to discern whether or not he's a trustworthy kind of a guy. And he basically says, look, it's not a matter of whether you choose me. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. This isn't even in your court. This isn't about you deciding whether or not I'm God or not. I'm God. I know that. This is about will you align with me and you can only align with me if the Father has drawn you to me. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, in this culture where you want to be pandered to, where you want me to prove myself to you, I'm not going to do that. You are going to choose whether you follow me or not, whether you understand me or not. Because see, our souls long to be satisfied by something we can't comprehend. Our souls long to be satisfied by something we can't comprehend. And the crowd in this story is stuck in this place of not understanding. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not going to back away from this. I am the bread of life. You can accept me or not accept me, but that doesn't change whether or not I am the bread of life. And so this crowd begins to express more and more of its disapproval. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Okay, he's basically throwing some shade on their like proof of what was they wanted him to prove, right? Yes, they ate the manna. That was a big deal. And then they all died. 
Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, wait for it, here's where he's going to turn this conversation really sideways, this bread is my flesh. Okay, you and I know that he is foreshadowing his death and his resurrection by which literally his physical body and his physical blood are going to provide a way for eternal life for us. But if we were sitting on that hillside in Galilee that day and we were listening to Jesus talk, we wouldn't know that. And it appears as if Jesus just took this conversation from a metaphorical conversation about bread and symbolism of what God can do to cannibalism. There's no other way around it. If you're sitting in that circle that day, he just turned the conversation sideways. We were talking about whether or not he was going to give us lunch. And then because he wanted to, we were talking about whether or not we should really believe him. And now all of a sudden we're talking about eating him? I mean, this is confusing. This is disturbing. This is agitating. And this is where we open act three. <laughs> then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> so we went from rabbi to he to this man, <laughs> right? They're kind of starting to distance themselves from him. And Jesus does not let off the gas pedal here, friends. Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person at the last day. Whoa, what do we do with this? What do we do when Jesus is confusing and honestly offensive and like does not make sense? And if you're the crowd, you're starting to distance yourself from him. If you're the disciples, you're starting to scratch your head going, boy, he's never said anything like this before. What are we talking about today? This, how did this conversation turn so sideways? I want to pause in the narrative because I think this is hard teaching whether you're sitting with Jesus in Capernaum or whether you're sitting here in Salem, Ohio in 2021 going, what was Jesus saying here? Because see, we approach the Bible from knowing that if God said it, it has a meaning that we need to understand, but this doesn't make sense. And so I want to tell you the two things that help me make sense of this. One of them is what I already said. If we can consider this conversation as a foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus, it can start to make sense in the symbolic sense of what he's saying, that it is his body and his blood that will give us life. The other thing I want to point to is this verse that comes here in verse 57. After talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, Jesus says this, I live because of the living father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. So he's saying, in the same way that I get life from the author of life, that Jesus finds his sustenance of life from the Father, in that same way, we will find our sustenance of life from Jesus. So feeding on Jesus is the same idea as getting our life from the author of life. There is this life-giving chain that comes down to us from the Father to the Son to us. 
It's a symbol of the life that we live because we abide in him. We remain in him. We feed on him. But it's not cannibalism, friends. It's the spiritual sense of knowing that Jesus is what we need at the core of who we are. And so Jesus repeats again, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Before we pass that verse, I want to point on that it's a little bit different than the first time he declared himself the bread of life, right? The first time he said, you will not hunger and you will not thirst. He was declaring himself his provision for our daily needs here on earth. But this time what he says is, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. This time he's saying this bread, this true bread that comes from heaven is going to satisfy our deepest soul longings for eternity. So he promises us to satisfy our soul in this earth and in this life and he promises to satisfy our soul for all eternity if we believe in him and we accept him and we come to him. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. And with that, he seems to bring to an end that conversation with the crowd. We don't know how quickly they dispersed or where they went. But when the scene opens on Act 4 in chapter, in verse 60, we're talking with his disciples. So now we're getting to this point of the, the many people who had followed him from town to town, who'd been learning from him and seeing him and getting to know him. And we start in verse 60. It says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And friends, the disciples are bumping into what the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 55. After he said, come to me, he began to talk about what the times that it would be hard. Because in verse 8, it says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The disciples are experiencing something that is true. It is hard to understand. God is God. We are human. We cannot understand everything God does. We cannot know everything God does. And when they express this is hard to understand, it is true. Unfortunately, they go on then to who can accept it toying with this idea of turning away from Jesus because the teaching was so hard to understand. And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? It's not a placating question. (laughs) He's not taking back what he said. He's not trying to explain what sounded to them like cannibalism. He's simply pushing in on their hearts and saying, does this offend you? And it reminds me of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He was the one who, as an infant in his mother's womb, leapt in the presence of Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, who at the Jordan declared with wholehearted assurance that the kingdom of God has come, and this is the one, the Lamb of God, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He pointed to Jesus, and then sometime later, he finds himself imprisoned for his teaching. And from the prison, he is disappointed, he is disillusioned, he is agitated, and he sends a couple disciples to ask Jesus this question so rooted in despair, are you really the one who was to come? And I wonder if any of us find ourselves like John the Baptist, 
We've come to Jesus. We believe in him. But life hasn't turned out the way that we thought it was going to turn out. His ways don't make sense to us. He hasn't satisfied things that we thought the Lord of the universe would want to satisfy for us. We find ourselves, quite frankly, offended with God. And to us, Jesus says what he said to John the Baptist. He told his disciples, he sent those two disciples back. He said, tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, Jesus understood that we would not understand him. Jesus knew that our souls long for a satisfaction that we cannot comprehend. And so he understood that as we went through this life, there would be times that we would be tempted to be offended with Jesus because he did not measure up to what we expected him to measure up to. And he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And we wrap up this story. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. What faith-filled words. Simon Peter, the one who walked on water with Jesus the night before, notice that he does not say, oh, I understand what Jesus is talking about. Oh, yeah, that whole cannibalism thing, it makes sense to me. He doesn't say he understands. He says, where else would I go? You alone have the words of life, and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, this is what God is asking of us. God is asking of us to look past what Jesus does to who Jesus is. To not be offended by what we can't understand and by our disappointment when we don't find our earthly satisfactions met. And to commit to him that no matter what happens on this earth, we will believe in you because we know who you are. You are the living son of God. You are the bread of life. You are the one in whom we put all of our trust. Friends, it's as if Jesus is saying to us, I am the sea calming, water walking, fish catching, demon casting, blind healing, outcast loving, truth teaching, dead raising, woman healing, injustice challenging, widow seeing, self-sacrificing son of God, and you want to know if you can have another snack. Friends, where are we missing the sole satisfaction of having our hunger and our thirst met every day, of having eternal life with Jesus because we are offended that he is not meeting us as he didn't meet the paparazzi that day as we cast about for the things that we think we need and the things that we think we desire? Have we been blinded by our expectations and our entitlement to miss the sole satisfaction of the living God? He says, I am the bread of life. So how do we, who claim to be his followers, who believe him to be the living son of God, access this bread? How do we live with this soul satisfaction in a world that seeks to steal our satisfaction? First, I would say this, that little prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven, in the middle of it, he says, give us this day our daily bread. What if for 30 days, you committed to pray that prayer every morning with a heartfelt eyes on Jesus awareness of what it is you're asking. Give us this day our daily bread, not just the physical provision that we need, but yes, that too, but yourself, your spirit, your soul satisfying self and see what God does in your life. 
See where he exposes where he's already at work. See where he shows up in ways that you weren't expecting him to show up. See where he does something that is beyond what you understand. See, in Ephesians, it tells us that God is able to do immeasurably more than you and I could even ask or imagine. We don't know what to ask for. So what if we just said, give us this day our daily bread and watch what he does? The other thing I would offer us as a way to access this bread of life is to take a couple minutes here to compare the way that the crowd reacted and responded to the way that the people who stayed. So we'll look at those who left and those who stayed as some examples of how it is that we live even in the confusing and even in the hard. So first of all, in the crowd, we had the paparazzi, right? That sense of going to all these other places, that why are you looking for food that does not satisfy? frantically casting about, and I would say to us, what is our appetite for? Where are we looking for satisfaction? Are we like the paparazzi, kind of going from place to place to place, looking for our next fix? Or are we more like those who stayed? Because those who stayed were participants. Remember Philip? He didn't know what to do. He was deer in the headlights. He couldn't feed the people, but Jesus invited him to be a participant in what was happening. Remember Andrew? He had nothing. But when a child offered the child's lunch, he gave it to Jesus. They were participants in what was going on, not just casting about for their next fix and looking for the sensational of what God is doing in the world. The second thing I would say is this, the crowd met Jesus with disapproval. They appointed themselves as judge and jury, and they said, by measuring by human standards and expectations, you don't measure up. But those who stayed, they met Jesus with discernment. They understood and took a posture of being a learner. Rather than taking a posture of being the judge in the situation, they took a posture of being a learner in the situation. They said, you are God, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you are saying this, I want to learn what you're saying. It's not ours to judge. It's ours to learn from him. And they took a posture of being a learner with discernment. The crowd, as the conversation went, got going, got more and more agitated. They met Jesus with agitation. The confusion led to outrage. It led to a demand for human understanding. They began arguing. They began pushing back. And eventually they walked away because they could not understand and they were offended by Jesus. But those who stayed, they met Jesus with acceptance. Like Peter, they said, we don't understand what you're saying, but we know who you are. And maybe we're not getting what we thought we were going to get, but we know your heart and that you want to give us something deeper. And so even when your ways are higher than my ways, I will meet you with acceptance, though I don't understand. And finally, we find that the crowd eventually rejected Jesus. Even some of the disciples rejected Jesus. How can anyone accept it, they said, and many turned away. And I wonder... I wonder if some of our young people and young adults in this wave that has swept our nation of deconstruction, have you heard the word? People deconstructing their faith. It didn't turn out the way they thought. It wasn't what they thought it was going to look like. And so instead of saying, Jesus is the one who's never changing, so I need to understand Jesus better, there's this concept that says, well, the world isn't the way I think it should look. Therefore, I'm going to figure out who Jesus is. And I would say that those who are deconstructing their faith who come back to faith, probably find that they end up with Peter. I don't understand it all, but where else would we turn? You alone have the words of life. And so we're called to a recommitment. We're called, even when it is offensive, even when it is difficult, even when it is hard, even when we have losses that we don't understand, to recommit our way to Jesus because he is Jesus. 
because he is the bread of life, because he does meet our deepest soul longing. Friends, he says, I am the bread of life. I will meet your soul, I will satisfy your soul in this life, and I will satisfy your soul for eternity. The question is, will we respond like those who turned away, or will we respond like those who stayed? Let's pray. Father God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give thanks for your holiness, your righteousness, your mightiness, your otherness, that which is so much beyond us that we can trust you that we can have faith in you, that we can know you. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us, for redeeming us, for your promises. Thank you for these statements that we've been talking about for a couple months now. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And as your people, God, we want to be those who lean in and say yes to that soul satisfaction, God. And so together in this place today, we surrender our right to understand We surrender our expectation and entitlement to some sort of satisfaction that isn't true satisfaction. We surrender any places that we have been offended with you and we come to you and we say, God, where else will we turn? You alone have the words of life. We are your people. We long for you and we look for you and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.